1: It is mailback time, Mr. Roberts. And so we were going to dive into some of those. If you guys have more questions, uh, get those in now. We have about 12 right now that I want to get to. And uh, we've got a couple Super Chats start us off with, Ryan. And we have one from – A, and I'm going to read this one, Ryan. You can read the others, but I want to read this one because this will be more sort of up up your alley to answer. AST 12321, thank you for the Super Chat very much. He asks, sorry if it already answered. I'm behind the live feet, but how does this impact the offensive line class of 2023? Now, this I like because he's not asking us to rehash something. I missed it. Here's the super chat. Can you fill me in? That's the way it's done, buddy. We appreciate you. So, Ryan, why don't you just kind of talk about what you've been able to gather so far uh, from the 23 class. And we did not talk about this, but what it also could mean for the 24 class, which we did not talk about yet.
2: Sure. And and I would say this, you know, and Brian already kind of hinted at it, but boards at irisbreakdown.com, I should be having a much more in depth kind of background as far as, you know, just kind of some of the quick thoughts from the Harry, he stand retirement from the offensive line groups in both 2023 and 2024. But I would say this from the 2023 that I've been able to gather, i mentioned it a little bit in the first section of this podcast is that there is a deep trust. It seems from this 2023 group in general, about what Marcus Freeman is going to do with this program moving forward, right? Is it a loss to have Harry Heastand? Yes, it absolutely is, and th- no one will skate around that, right? The offensive line recruits in 2023 that I've talked to so far about this have all already said that Harry Heastand's a big loss. Like it, 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 soured kind of the Sunday a little bit. You know, it's it is definitely a you know because that's the guy that they've developed deeper relationships with but another consistent part, and this is also consistent with where Tommy Reese left with the 2024 group specifically is that there is a deep trust about what that Marcus Freeman is going to get that great offensive line court, uh, line coach in here as the replacement. And as long as that happens, I don't think it's going to affect the 2023 group at all. I really don't. 2024 is going to be interesting and completely different because right now you only have one offensive line commit in the class and that's Peter Jones, right? Now, obviously that's going to be a, you know, that's who's recruited Peter Jones. So you want to make sure that everything's good on that end. But aside from that, that's the only commit in the class. So now it becomes to the impact of the momentum that is gained and how much you can continue that momentum with the next guy in because it's going to be a different relationship than what they have with Harry said, obviously. It's a completely different person, completely different background. So guys like Caleb Brewer, guys like Gerby Lambert, Styles Prescott, Liam Andrews, those types of players – Notre Dame's next offensive line coach has a very talented board already in place. It's about developing those relationships and develop them quickly. So you don't lose that momentum, right? So 2024 is going to be very different from 2023 to the questions point, but I think 2023, it's about, again, the trust of Marcus Freeman. Let's get a great offensive line coach in here. And for whoever that offensive line coach is moving forward for Notre Dame, then it's about getting to work on that 2024 class and, Building those relationships quickly because you are losing a little bit of time now with Coach Hissan gone to the relationships he was building with the 2024 kids.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data
1: Our next partner is Athletic Greens. I take AG1 by Athletic Greens literally every day. I gave AGI a try because I wanted better gut health, sustained energy, immune support system, but I hate taking pills. And I wanted a supplement that actually tastes great, which is helping me kick my sugar addiction. In the morning before I get to work, I like getting something healthy in my body. And with AG1, I'm giving my body the nutrition it craves. It's very important for me to get my day started off with something healthy. But with my schedule, it's hard to prepare healthy meals. AG1 is a very quick way to pack my body with all that I need to jumpstart my day in a very healthy way. Covering my nutritional basis for the day literally couldn't be easier, which is why I trust Athletic Greens. I just mix one small scoop of AG1 with water and drink it first thing every morning. Done. I also like that it costs less than $3 a day. It's pretty good if you ask me. It's a really effective daily habit with the highest quality source ingredients. Win-win. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com/irish. That's athleticgreens.com/irish. Check it out. I, I think the one thing that uh, from all this Ryan is they need to they need to move as quickly as possible. They've got to make the right hire. I mean and that's the clip I put up the other day is you got to be slow to hire. But in and I believe that. I'd rather miss on a recruit because you made the right hire than rush on a guy, get that recruit and then your offensive line coach isn't good enough, right? But unlike the NFL where there's a hiring window, where there's no free agency, there's no draft, there's there's nothing like that going on. No decisions are being made from players. In college it's a little bit different. You have a much you need to be slow to hire but you still need to, within that process, make it as decisively as you can, right? While still making sure that you're making the right hire. Making the right hire is priority numero uno. As quickly as you can make the right hire is ideal. And and that's the reality of it. And so we got to see... Well, we got to see them get that done i i gotta bring this comment up here real quick from antoine gates this is hilarious he goes i thought my daughter turned the tv i almost put her in timeout <laughs> like <laughs> could you imagine like antoine like yo sweetheart what are you doing and she's like what i don't know what you're talking about you know well i i must, Antoine. i
2: was had one of those uh moments with uh with my daughter last night before she went to bed brian she was like i want to watch mickey i'm like too bad man <laughs> <laughs> That's, that stinks i'm sorry to hear that yeah <laughs> here's the tablet you watch the, no yeah. the Antoine
1: situation movie. was a misunderstanding. You literally yes. almost put your daughter in timeout <laughs> for something she was doing. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Very, very, very well done. Very, very well done. Uh, all right. Here's the next one from Charlie Weiss's last belt. Lupe also has a super chat. Uh, this I'll also read this one, right? Cause it's kind of sure. for you. Uh, Ryan to be fair, people said that because when Pat won the first Super Bowl, ESPN was pushing that he is better than Brady already. Typical ESPN pushing the narrative. I get that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's all. That's always that like premature
2: conversation that happens, Charlie. Right? Because it's like, what's going to get the clicks? Right? Sure. Is that you know? Oh, t- he's only been in the league three years. He's already better than Tom Brady, who's been doing it for twenty plus Stupid. years. Right? It's right. it's
1: really dumb. It's really dumb because that's and I and that's what I was saying earlier, Ryan, about like the Tim Tebow, Tom Brady stuff. Sure, because you get tired. Okay, stop shoving down my face that you think he's the greatest of all time. Right? Okay, maybe he is, but I, here's my here's why I might make a case for someone else. Yep. And it's the same thing I've said a million times about Tim Tebow. I used to hit, can't stand Tim Tebow, not as a human being, but as a quarterback. Not that I thought he's overrated. He's one of the best run throw quarterbacks to ever play the game of college football. It was I'd be watching a game between two teams playing, and Tim Tebow's team wasn't one of them. And you'd probably get twenty minutes during the game of some ESPN commentators talking about Tim Tebow. That's great, right? man. but you need to be able yeah. to separate that from the player. Yep. And and I think some people, Charlie. Uh, to be honest with you, don't do a good enough job of that. You may hate how he's covered, but it doesn't take away from a player's greatness, right? Absolutely. Like, I know people that couldn't stand John Elway because of the stuff he pulled to get in the league. I'm not going to play for Colts. I'm going to use the Yankees. to. to, And, hey, look, he had that leverage. Other people have not. You may hate that. You may not have liked that. Terry Bradshaw didn't like that, but it shouldn't. But when you talk about the player he was, you should evaluate it on what he did. And I don't like the Chiefs. I'm a Broncos fan right and and whatever but I don't like how Pat Mahomes was covered in that regard either and we don't give enough credit to some of the other great quarterbacks in the league but in this instance I kind of thought it was interesting because it's almost like he was being disrespected a little bit coming into this game and and really over the last month I mean you know with the the Bengals it's like you guys get the one Super Bowl and now all of a sudden you guys think that you're just like you know this unbeatable force talking about you know Burrowhead Stadium and you know, and, and the, the mayor talking about like, you know, basically saying Joe Burrow's your daddy, you know, to Pat Mahomes, like, yeah, it may not be the fight you want to pick there, chief. And now look who's holding the Vince Lombardi trophy at the end of this whole thing. Yeah. Right. Like you may not want to poke the bear, guys. And so I, I get all that, but it's like he's kind of gone the last month. He's kind of gone in the opposite direction. We're almost like people were writing the chiefs off. Right. Like, oh, the Bengals are going to beat him. All oh, the Eagles are going to beat him and like i'm watching sh- uh, during the week listening to different and there's a well the eagles are just going to win cuz they're just they're just a better team and i'm like well maybe i don't know i am following the nfl but it's like y'all acting like the chiefs are lucky to be here i'm like weren't they like 14 and 3 or something like that 13 and yep. 4 something like that like this team doesn't suck you no. know what i mean but i get all that ryan it's just but you got to be able to evaluate the player yep and the the numbers have been have been tremendous even in a league of inflated numbers because that's the thing you say well the numbers are inflated I get that totally get that I've made that case before but he's doing it he's doing things within that inflated numbers era that to me are are better than what anybody else is I mean he led the league in this year in, in passing yards he led the league this year in passing touchdowns you know he twice he's led the league in, in touchdown percentage he's led the league in yards per attempt he's twice led the league I believe in QB rating twice led the league in yards per game I mean there's there's things he's led the league a lot in and yes the numbers are inflated nowadays but his numbers are spectacular within that framework in my opinion and that's kind of that's kind of my point but yeah he's only played five years but you know Terrell Davis only had what five healthy seasons as well you know and and, and I think the thing about
2: Patrick Holmes is, yeah, like, you can look at all the numbers and you can look at the accomplishments. They're all fantastic. If you watch the kid play, man, he's special. I mean, how are you going to phrase it, right? Like, he's one of the most natural throwers of the football that I've ever seen. He might be the best just thrower of the football that I personally have seen play live, right? Like, I remember John Elway just at the tail end of his career, for instance. Don't remember Dan Marino basically at all. You know, two of the more talented throwers of that generation. Of this generation, I mean, Pat Mahomes could throw the ball, like, I mean, just the arm angles and the the ability to take something off the football, like it's, it's a rare football player, man, at the end of the day. So, you know, we can even separate the stats from just what we see on the film, right? And Patrick Mahomes is just a very, just different, different football player. And now, Brian, even though it's only been five years, there's all these next these next wave of quarterbacks are all patterned in their game after them, man. Right. Everybody and their mother wants to throw off that platform now. Everybody and their right. mother. And that's just, I think that speaks volumes to the impact he's had.
1: Yeah, I, and guys like that change the game, right? When you have these great quarterbacks come along, everybody wants to find the next Joe Montana. Then everybody wants to find the next John Elway. Then everybody was trying to find the next this guy, Peyton Manning, and then that, you know, and that's just kind of how it is. And there's a reason guys like him have the success because there is nobody else like him. And that's uh, you know, that's what people need to that's what people need to understand. So, um, yeah, it, it's a the guy's a great talent. He's a great talent. You don't have to like him. I get it, but i think he's in funny commercials like did you ever see the one where he's doing the um the bubble bombs or whatever it is he's in the it's like one of those you don't have to get that personal ones he's like dropping the, he's pulling he's like he's got like an ice bath in the chief's locker room and he's got a robe on he's like pulling the big bubble bombs like the big things you put in the bathtub to create bubbles and he's feel like i have but i can't have to get that personal you know gets all in his feelings about the sneakers like he doesn't have his own patrick patrick rate you know what i mean it's like shredded Betty has a a ring, you know what I mean or whatever it is but that's pretty funny. And he anyway, sounds like Kermit the Frog, which is fantastic, man. It's absolutely He, he fantastic. sounds like Kermit the Frog? Yes. That's oh like, man, he sounds
2: just like Kermit the Frog. It's I don't so funny. What Kermit
1: the Frog sounds like. <laughs> that's really bath bombs. We said bath bombs. So, yeah, that's that's pretty funny. Andrew Gilmore with Super Chat so, here you go, Ryan. Let let you read Andrew
2: says, one. Was it a bad look for Ludwig Andy Ludwig to so publicly hang out with Marcus Freeman while still the Utah offense coordinator? Doesn't he owe Kyle Whittingham his
1: career? No. He doesn't owe him his career. Number one. Uh, he has earned whatever he has in his career. and And so Kyle Kyle, what I don't what I don't like, and and I'm not saying you're necessarily saying this, Andrew, but I, I had a boss try to do this one time. You know, you you owe me. I gave you a chance. I'm like, yeah, you gave me a platform, and then I did all the work, right? Like, I don't owe you anything, right? And so, and and I think there's there's um there's 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 kind of that, but you've still got to do the work. And his offenses have been better under him than they haven't. Look, Kyle Winningham knew exactly what was going on. It's not like he went out to that game and was like, hey, let me get on the jumbotron. It's not his fault that people are creepily and weirdly like taking long distance photos of him and putting them out on social media, like paparazzi. I mean, it is what it is, but you know, that's part of the interview process. Kyle Winningham knew exactly where he was, knew that he was going on the interview, knew that he was taking that. He gave him that decency and that's, and, and so, you know, that's part of the deal. Look, Kyle Winningham gets it. It's Notre Dame. Trust me, he gets it. And, and, you know, he wasn't flaunting the interview. It's not like he was like, Hey, look at me. I'm Andy Ludwig. You know what I mean? They were sitting off kind of, you know, away from everything. It's not a really big arena. It's a hockey arena. You know, they're not like football stadiums where there's like 80,000 people in them. You're going to, you're going to see them. So I don't think it's bad optics. I don't think, I don't think it's anything. It's part of the interview process. Simple as that. I think people are making way too much of this kind of stuff, way too much of this kind of stuff. And, and it's not like, and I mean, to your point, Brian, it's not like Ludwig is flaunting, you know? Like, right. it, again, Notre Dame it, wasn't showing it, right? right? Like, they weren't putting it on social media. It was reporters yeah. there and people taking pictures of him.
2: It's, it's not it's, like he's dropping it to Snapchat and, and right. Instagram Live,
1: like, all my way to Notre yeah, Dame. Dropping like, his location thing on his Twitter. Like, look, exactly. you know, he's <laughs> exactly. doing an interview. That's part of the process. Exactly. You know? so, yep. uh, so, yeah, it, it's just one of those things where, You know,
2: and and it's not—it's not not like Andy Ludwig has just been with Kyle Whittingham his entire career. Like we've talked about the several stops, right? I mean, it's not like he's just coached with him twenty years and he owes it to him and whatever you know nonsense you want to talk about. He's potentially doing what's better for his career, maybe what's better for his career for in his opinion is staying at Utah. Who
1: knows? Right. But
3: you know, at the end of the day, right?
1: Yeah, he made the sack. And if he sticks at Notre Dame, if he sticks at Utah. That's even better that he was on the big screen and do all that. Cause now every kid at you, every kid in Utah's really, like, Hey, Notre Dame wanted this guy. Right. And he said, No, that's going to help us recruit. I was about to say, the
2: West Coast recruits that are out there, right? It's like, Oh, wow. They wanted him. Let's, they actually you Utah a little
1: bit of a deeper look than I was going right. to Cause he must be very right. good coach. You back know, back like, backpack 12 championships, blah, yep. blah, 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 blah. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yep. So, uh, yeah, I don't have a, I don't, I don't have a, I don't have an issue with that. Me neither. All right. Let's get down to this next one from Tyler Evans. Let me just, uh, since this is for you, I'll read this. And thank you for the super chat, Tyler, Mr. Roberts. What is the deepest and weakest position group in this year's draft class? And how is your wife feeling about the Eagles losing? Tyler, first of all, I should have to call him Mr.
2: Roberts. I really appreciate it, man. But that's my dad, and he's like 60-something, right? So you can call me Ryan. It's, I appreciate it. sign of respect. I, I respect yeah. him, too. I respect him, too. And if he wants me to call him Mr. Evans, I will. But you don't have to call me Mr. Roberts. That's all it is, right? The uh, deepest groups in the draft, in my opinion, offensively is running back by far. It is just a wicked deep running back room. Offensive tackle, I think, has some pretty nice depth. And tight ends, I think, has some pretty good depth. Defensively, the deepest positions by far are cornerback and defensive end, edge position. Those are the deepest by far. So edge, corner, offensive tackle has depth, not as top heavy as we would want And running back and tight ends. Those are the deepest. The weakest interior offensive line is like stupid weak this year, man. Like it is just not great. There's not a ton of draftable centers and guards this year for whatever reason. And I think that, the safety group leaves a lot to be desired on the defensive side of the football. I love Brian branch from Alabama. I think he's a heck of a player. Antonio Johnson from Texas A&M, I think is also a really good player, but I think that that thing tails off pretty quickly. Right? So that's kind of what I see right now, Tyler. I think quarterback also is another one that like, you like the top, right? The top two guys. It's pretty nice, but then eh, it starts to get pretty deep, pretty quick. I mean, pretty thin, pretty quick. Excuse me. As for my wife, she was more, she wasn't upset because she actually was. She, I, I felt like she was proud of the Eagles for how they played. You know, I felt like she how thought can they you not you know, exactly. Yeah. I don't think that she was, she was definitely wasn't disgusted or anything. She was just disappointed, you know, how most fans would be. Like, she thought that the Eagles had a good team. She thought they had a chance to win. They did, and they played their hearts out at the end of the day. So, I mean, was she would she have liked the victory? She definitely would have because that would have made today going to work a little bit easier and she would have got some free coffee on the way to school. But Regardless, I think she was still proud of the Eagles'
1: efforts this year. so I don't know what it's like, right? Like I've watched the Broncos win three Super Bowls, and two of the three were close games. Ish. The Panthers game was close in score only, but I don't think anyone ever thought the Panthers actually had a shot to win that game. I mean, they were thoroughly outplayed that by the Broncos. The Falcons one was not very close, and then of course the Packers game was a, was one of the still one of the greatest Super Bowls ever played. But they've got they've had four losses in yes. my lifetime. I don't count the one against the Cowboys, and none of them were close. The closest one was the Giants; it was like thirty-nine to twenty. Denver was winning ten to nine at halftime, and the Giants just steamrolled them in the second half. The Redskins-Broncos game was forty-two to ten, and then the Niners-Broncos game was fifty-five to ten, and then the Seahawks beat them. What's it like forty-three to eight? I think is what like it that. was when they yeah I mean, forty-three to
2: eight. Oh, it was. Yeah. I don't.
1: Yeah. I, I'll. I don't know what it's like to lose a, part of me wonders like maybe it's even better that way because like you know by halftime, like freaking's over, I don't have to worry about this, you know what I mean? Yeah. But but to to as an outside, I don't so I don't know what it's like as a fan, but as an outsider, I'm like, how are you not proud of the way that team played? That was two teams that played great football. One team was just better than the other. I mean, at, at two very important spots in at quarterback and experience in that moment. And the quarterback gap was not great last night. I no. mean, it wasn't. I mean, Jalen Hurts in a lot of ways played better than Pat Mahomes. He would have been the MVP know? easy if oh, they were ones. So. I actually was thinking to myself, would you still give him? I, I uh, honestly, like, I felt the best player in the field last night in that game was Jalen Hurts. I mean, he he was the best quarterback on the field last night. I'm not saying, like. It, Patrick he's better than Patrick Mahomes and I think the, right. the experience of Patrick Mahomes won out last night where you know Patrick Mahomes made enough place to keep them in that game until they got rolling and then Jalen couldn't quite answer the same way that Patrick did right sure. so I get him not getting it but like honestly I mean for 60 minutes he he was the I felt the best on the field last night and if there was ever a case for a, a losing player to get the MVP it was Jalen Hurts What do you have four touchdowns right three
3: Three, yep, three rushing, one
1: passing. passing. Yep. So, but but it How was just that is, experience in that moment was the the big yep. thing for me.
2: How many times has that happened that a loser has won the? I don't want to call it a loser. The,
1: Gavin, the
2: losing I don't think it's
1: team ever happened?
2: Well, no, it definitely happened with the Cowboys in like the seventies. They had like a two people. I think it was like Chuck Howley and somebody won MVP. Because Randy Martin team. and.
1: Um, Randy White and Randy White Chuck and, Alley, maybe. Yeah. Um, maybe. I thought it was Harvey Martin. I thought it was who the other one was. Maybe be, be Harvey Martin. Martin. It was somebody like that. It was definitely a two person thing. Yeah. yeah. So but did they lose that Super Bowl? Yeah, they definitely lost. 100%. Cowboys lost that Super yep. Bowl. Okay. Yeah. So then that would be one time. Yeah, I don't that might remember be the that time. Happened. But never. that was before you and I were born. It's definitely before you were born. Definitely. So yeah, I you know I I thought that it would have been a but it gets weird because you you want to ha- hand the MVP trophy over to someone that's on the stage you know we're going to bring Jalen Hurts up to give him the MVP we're surrounded by the teams that just beat him I kind of get it but right. it was a heck of a game man it really was it, it was a really great game here's another super chat from Charlie Weiss's last belt loop. Said a lot of the hate is because of his
2: brother and his wife's antics. It shadows what he has done. They both act pretty disgusting on TikTok. No problem with PM. It's PM. PM. Oh Patrick Mahomes, my bad.
1: Yep. I've heard that a lot. Um a lot of people don't like his brother and wife. I, is- I I'm not I'm not on TikTok. I'm
2: not a TikToker, but his brother does rub me the wrong way with everything I've heard of him. And I know the, I think the wife feeds into his antics a little bit from what I hear, but I don't pay attention to her. So how old is his brother? His brother. I think his brother is 20 something now. I don't think he's that young. So he's not like a 13 year old. No, 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 no. He's definitely like 20 something. I think.
1: Okay. Couldn't tell you, but I've heard that. That's why I've said before, like, I can understand you not liking those around him. I've heard a lot about the antics. I just have never seen them. And uh yeah, but hey, that's, you know, he allows that to happen. Not that he could do anything about it. I mean, it's a free country. You can't tell a dude to not be on TikTok if it's. I mean, and honestly, TikTok. it's
2: it's it's our fault well not my fault it's not your fault but like it is society's fault that yeah. he is a thing right because they watch it. it so yeah <laughs> right. right right all right we have another super chat from joe Papiti. from joe in my opinion andy reed totally outcoached jonathan gannon he schooled him especially in the second half i don't disagree yeah i think Who, that that was honestly huh, what's that, that the defensive coordinator defensive coordinator jonathan gannon yeah I think I mean Brian. This is just my opinion because I watch a lot of Eagles fan uh, Eagles games. Unfortunately, for where I live, Jonathan Gannon was the weak link of both coaching staffs last night. In my opinion, you know I think that he. I put it on Twitter earlier, but he is one of the reasons that I say that stats can lie at times, right? And people can manipulate it because you look at the Eagles defensive stats, you're like, oh man, they're a really good defensive team, but then you see it when they have to play actually good quarterbacks over the last couple of years you're like oh <laughs> it's a little bit different man it's a little bit different like yeah. they played jared Goff earlier in the year got torched they got torched by Dak prescott late in the year like i mean when they're not playing guys like taylor heineke for instance like sure. not quite as good so <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah but and he's was- getting a head coaching uh head coaching interview right.
1: today, john so, but you know yeah. a lot of people are people are people A lot of people have been out coached by Andy Reid over the years, Ryan. Yes.
2: Oh, no, no. It's it's no fault to get outcoached by Andy Reid. He's a great offensive coach. But I do agree to Joe that that was the difference in the, in the second half, in my opinion, was that the defensive coordinator cannot quite make adjustments to play with Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy. I think that was the difference. Yes.
4: Yeah
1: uh i did want to bring this part up ryan from uh Brokenneck boy how do you guys feel about the super bowl the field and the flag as a saints fan i saw nothing we've talked about the flag and the super yep. bowl ryan i did want to get your thoughts on the field it, it was a weird vibe wasn't it man like everyone was slipping all over the place i was incredibly
2: confused by everything that was going on and i mean honestly i'm watching i'm just like The the field and someone said I forget who the player was or if it was an analyst had said that someone said that it was like playing in a in a a water park or something like that it was that slick it was just really strange that you've had all this time to prepare for this you're playing on turf like there we should be out of (laughs) we should be out of this right it's that
1: you had one job thing it really is yeah one job. And it really boiled down to they wanted to play on grass, so they have the stadium open because they actually have a turf field that they can use. They have it, that's the stadium that has the two surfaces, right? Yes. Isn't Arizona with two surfaces? Yep. You know, there's just there's just no excuse for that. None. Then you see the thing with uh, Jalen Hurts changing his spikes yeah. at some point, and like it was just a mess, man. It was a mess. no no excuse for that. No excuse for that, Ryan, at all. None. Yeah. None. I did want to bring this one up here real quick from Tyler Evans. Ryan, if you could uh, thank you for the super chat, Tyler. Sure.
2: And Tyler asks, can I get your opinion on the 2023 NFL Hall of
1: Fame class this year? Let me just read the names real quick. Uh, Rondé Barber, Tampa Bay Bucks, Daryl Revis of the Jets and several other teams. Joe Thomas of the Browns. Uh offensive line from the Browns, Zach Thomas, linebacker for the Dolphins, Demarcus Ware of the Cowboys, but he had to go to Denver to get a Super Bowl. Just want to make sure we remind people of that. Uh, Don Coriel, the great legendary coach, Chuck Halley, Joe Klecko of the longtime player for the Jets, and then Ken Riley, who I um I watched that video, Ryan. And yes. so Ken Riley's passed away. And so to listen to his daughter and um and his or his son and
3: talk his about that. And then with yeah.
1: um uh, the other one was with uh, Don Coryell. Uh, Don yeah. Coryell with his daughter yeah. and his son. So th- I it. thought it was a pretty cool moment to hear Ken Riley's son kind of being told, hey, your dad's a Hall of Famer. And then to yeah. see it, the Coryell family, I thought that was pretty cool as well. But that is the and that is the Hall of Fame class for 2023.
2: I, I thought it was a really good class overall. I would say, you know, my 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 only thing that I'm just like, I wish that would have happened, like. Why did it take Ken Riley so long to get in the NFL Hall of Fame? He's second all-time in interceptions. He's got 65 interceptions. Like, why did it take so long? Don Coryell? I mean, he was a pioneer for the offense that he ran, and Air Coryell, right? Like, why did it take right. him so long to get in the Hall of Fame? Why did it take Chuck Howley so long to get in the Hall of Fame? So there's a – I mean, Chuck Howley luckily is still alive, so he'll be able to see the moment, you know, God willing. So sure. that's good. But like – He, at least, got guys to, he
1: at least got to be told he's a Hall of Famer, right? Exactly. Exactly. Don, Don Coryell, I kind of understand, if I'm going to be honest with you, because he was an architect of an offense. but he wasn't necessarily a like his, his record as a coach wasn't exactly hall of fame ish. In my opinion, you know what I mean? Like if you look at what he did as a coach, uh, he was actually even more successful in college than he was in the NFL. I mean, he went 111 and 83 in the NFL and, you know, never made it to the super bowl, made it to only two championship games. and, you know, did some really good things, but like if it wasn't for the uniqueness of the offense, he's not a Hall of Famer. You know, here's a crazy thing for you, Ryan. He was the head coach at Whittier College for three years, but then he was the head coach at San Diego State from 1961 to 1972. His, his college, his record at San Diego State, and I believe they were a 1AA, they weren't a Division one team back then, but still, he went 104, 19, and two at San Diego State, won three national championships back to 66, 67, and 68. It's not bad. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Uh, so I think it was it's because of your bringing a guy in for the way he changed the game not so much. It's like Jackie Robinson is remembered as a pioneer, you know, first black major league baseball player, but Jackie Robinson's a Hall of Famer for what he did on the field also. He was a great player, not just a pioneer for something, right? Sure. And thing with Corey El, to me is like he's a pioneer and and he did, he had great contributions to the game. But I think what took so long is the fact that that's what you're bringing him in for, not the actual results from a win loss record as a coach, if that makes sense. Because so, no, 111, 111 sense. and 83 with no Super Bowl appearances is not like to me Hall of Fame worthy. Like that's Marty good. Schottenheimer, you want to tell me he's a Hall of Famer? Cool. Even though he's not, I'm saying you can make that case yeah. because to me, uh, Yes, Marty Schottenheimer's never, never been to a Super Bowl, but he had great results over a very long period of time. And you could argue if it wasn't for John Elway, he probably would have made a couple Super Bowls. You know, but Marty Schottenheimer went 200 and 126. You know, he he had, let's see, four, eight, ten, eleven, thirteen playoff appearances. Don Coryell had like six or seven, right? And so I think that would be. That would be the thing is you you better have coached a long time and had a lot more success than what Don Coryell had to get in for your coaching acumen if you're not going to have a Super Bowl and he just didn't have that so but Ken Riley you're absolutely right like you just look at the numbers and they speak for themselves yeah. in an era where they didn't throw the ball as much as they do now right now yeah. they threw the ball down the field a lot more so that kind of balance uh, balance it off but. Ryan, did you have any issues with the modern player? I didn't have any issues with the modern guys that did it. Um, no,
2: not, re- not yeah. really.
1: I mean, I mean, DeMarcus Square is a no-brainer for me. Sure. I was like, yep, deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Well, and the I Super mean, Bowl clinched it for me, you know, playing yeah. well in the Super Bowl with Von Miller. I thought that kind sure. of – in any debate you might have had, which I think the Super Bowl thing can be – Super Bowl thing matters more for a coach for me than it does a player, right? Like – It's a team award. Well, I can hold that over the coach's head a little bit more, Ryan, than the player, because the coach is partly responsible for putting the team together. Right. Right. But yeah, he's a no brainer. The one I wanted to ask you about uh, was uh, Zach Thomas. He waited a long time, man. He's been on, he's been a finalist for several years. I,
2: I, he's the one, he's one of the two that I would have like a real conversation of like, was he truly great or was just very good for a while? You know what I mean? Like, I, 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 Rondé Barber I, was your other one, right? Rondé Barber is the other one. Rondé Barber was a very good player for a very long time, right? And so was Zach Thomas. But my, my – my, I mean we talked about this on the Monday show last week. My biggest indicator is like if you ask me straight up, is that guy a great football player? If I have to hesitate, that's where the conversation starts happening, right? Then we have to start looking at longevity and accolades and all that great stuff, Right. If you ask me, is Zach Thompson was Zach Thomas ever a truly great football player? My answer would probably be no, and it probably wouldn't be that long of a thing. Like I would say he's a very good football player. Rondé Barber is the same thing, right? Like that's just kind of where it comes down to me for me. Like I-, I shouldn't have a Demarcus Ware. Is Demarcus Ware a great football player? Yes. Yes. Didn't have to didn't hesitate on that one. Like yeah, he is and he was. Daryl Rivas, yes, great football player.
1: Deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. See, what's, what's, see here's the interesting thing. Daryl Revis's three best years were better than Rondé Barber's three best years. But I always felt that Daryl Reeves outside of about a four-year stretch, was never an elite player outside of that four-year stretch. It was really mm-hmm. good. The thing for me is, I, I think it depends on kind of the criteria you look at. I, how old were you? You were born in, what, 90? 90, 91. Like, 91? Yeah. So you were five years old when Zach Thomas was a rookie like I remember Zach Thomas and I always felt he was a phenomenal player in just a different era, you know? And, and to your point, was he ever the best guy in the league? Probably not, you know, but you're talking about a guy that's got five first team, all pro appearances in an era where there's a lot of linebackers, really good linebackers in the league. And so I get, I get your point. I think to me, I I am very sympathetic to the notion. Thank you. Very sympathetic to the notion of if you weren't elite, you don't belong in, I've always kind of felt like there was there's three categories for Hall of Famer. And I don't know if I said this in a conversation with Sean or in the show. It's either one, you had a super special stretch for a short period of time and something happened to get you out. So like with Daryl Revis, the injury he had after like his fourth just phenomenal year, he was never quite the same guy after that. He was still pretty good. But he, if you only look at Daryl Revis after the injury, it's not a Hall of Fame career. But once you add what he did before the injury, oh, dude, he was, Revis Island. Terrell Davis is an example. Uh, Gail Sayers is an example. And so you have to either be that, you have to be just truly elite for a longer period of time, Joe Montana, John Elway, guys like that, or you have to be really good for a long time. Now, see, the thing for me is it's hard to be elite. It's also really hard to be really good when you're in your mid (laughs) thirties, you know what I mean? So like there's different levels to it. So, so I am okay with the longevity thing, as long as the longevity includes a long time of being really good. What I think happens sometimes, and this is more so in baseball than football is you have a guy who was pretty good for a long time. So he accumulated a a lot of stats, but he wasn't really good for that long. He just was in the league for a long time with Rondé. I'm somewhat sympathetic to your argument. I just think he was so good into his 30s at a at a position where guys just usually aren't that good into their 30s. But I do agree he never had the two or three seasons like like Daryl Reeves had. I think he also gets credit for being part of a, a really special defense for a period of time. That yeah. Tampa Bay defense he was a part of was tremendous. Yes. Yeah, so. so he's not Champ Bailey. But I still, I was still comfortable with it. If you would have told me he didn't get in, I wouldn't have been like, dude, he's getting screwed. But I'm also kind of okay with him being in, if that makes sense. Well,
2: and and I talked to, I think I was talking to my dad or somebody else about it. I'm just like, like they're both very good football players, right? So I'm not going to, like, write an appeal to right. the NFL Hall of Fame. Like, that's ridiculous. You can't you can't put them at all. Like, no, that's fine. It's just I personally – I don't know if I personally vote for them to be in the Hall of Fame. I'll put it like that. Like, am I against it? Not 100%. Am which is I, why they weren't first – I mean, which is why Zach Thomas did need some time. Zach Thomas took a long time to get in, to your point. And I will say this. The one thing I'm happy about – is that my dad is a Dolphins fan and Zach Thomas is one of his favorite players of all time. He loves Zach Thomas and he's been rooting for him to get in the Hall of Fame for several years. So like, That's I was true. happy for my dad on that yeah. instance. And then when you go back and look at Zach Thomas's like combine numbers, it's hysterical, Brian. That yeah. that guy should not have been as good as he was. Right. Shouldn't have been. He wasn't right. talented. He wasn't. Well, right. I should rephrase. He wasn't that talented. He wasn't as athletic. a Hall of Famer. Right. Yes. He's five he eleven. Like,
1: 5'11". Yeah. Yes. And he ran like
2: four eight, had a 28-inch vertical playing linebacker. Like, just was not a great athlete. But yeah. he got the most out of his ability. So, hats yeah. off to him. He, You know, yeah. he
1: got what he deserved, I guess. So, see, one, two, three, four, five-time first-team All-Pro. And two, two other years where he was second-team All-Pro. Made it to five, seven Pro Bowls, which Pro Bowls are a little overrated. But the all-pro ones, to me, that's an impressive number for a guy that played basically 12 years. To have 70 or 12 years, you were first or second-team all-pro in an era where there was pretty good linebacker play Um was impressive to me. But you're right, Ryan. Like, he was never going to win a sexiest player ever contest. <laughs> yeah. You know, you stack him up against some other inside linebacker, like Brian Urlacher, and you're like, you know, that guy doesn't belong in the same conversation as Brian Urlacher. But then you look at the production, and you're like, yep, okay, yeah, I get it. I get it. He was a heck of a player, man. And him and him and Jason Taylor were such polar opposites on that same team. Like Jalen, Ta- Jason Taylor, like was that physical specimen, you know, six six, twitchy, <laughs> you know, all long that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. And then watch them play together. You're just like these guys are two completely, completely different people. Completely yep. different people. Which
2: is so funny that one played at Texas Tech, which you know is a power five program, and Jason Taylor came out of Akron, which is just right. still
1: pretty hysterical. Right. But. Yep. Uh, You never know. Some guys just develop later, man.
5: My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.
2: Florida Irishman, any chance Harry would stay on as an analyst for Chris, for Chris Watt as the offensive line coach? I doubt it.
1: Now, if, yeah. if, let's just say hypothetically that Chris Watt gets named the offensive line coach. Harry is going to be helping Chris Watt. Sure. But he'd more do it as a, you know, like he did last time, from his home, talking to him, stuff like that, not so much in an official role. It would be more – now, would he be a, – a, well, if Chris Watt gets named the offensive line coach and Harry stands still live in South Bend and Harry Heastan wants to be around the program, I, I'd, I'd be shocked if they didn't let him around the program. i flat out think that he would. But it just wouldn't be – part of the whole retiring thing is I don't want to have to go to the office every day. Right. Like, here's one of the things people said, w- w- do you ever want to get back into coaching? I'm like, no, not even a little bit. Why? I said, I kind of like setting my own schedule. I like, kind of like being able to say, Hey Ryan, I need you to handle breaking news tonight because I'm taking Ange out to dinner. Right. And not have to worry about losing a recruit because I didn't do something, you know what I mean? And having people that can kind of help with that and n- not having to go like, you know, Ryan, you work a lot more now than you did when you were a teacher, but it's, you're able to work from home. You're able to, hey, I, I got to go pick up my daughter. I got to do yep. And there's some freedom that comes with that. And with Coach Easton, I promise you, he's still going to be watching film. He's still going to be working with his alignment. He's still going to be doing stuff. He's just not going to be coaching. And 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 I, and I if he's still living in the area, I would be shocked if he doesn't stay around the program if Chris Watt's still there. If Chris Watt's not there, I don't see Harry Easton being around the program so sure. much. Not that they wouldn't want him to be around. It's just I don't see him being around. So that would I'm, be my thing. I'm
2: interested to see what happens to Chris Watt in this whole situation. This going to be too. interesting. I
1: hope he's still at Notre Dame no matter what next year. Yeah, That's my hope. Here's an interesting one we did not get to during the show, Ryan. But one of the interesting things about Harry Heastan leaving is if for some reason Andy Ludwig turns the chop down, and I'm not saying he's going to, it does change the dynamic for the offensive coordinator higher. Because it does open up the potential to bring in an offensive line coach there. And Alex Atkins is a guy, and this is the question from John Leahy, how is Alex Atkins as an OC? It does bring up an interesting dynamic, Ryan, because now all of a sudden Alex Atkins, a guy who we thought did a very good job with the offensive line at Florida State, now becomes a potential candidate should Ludwig Leap, if Notre Dame wanted to go that route. I'm not saying he right. would be a candidate. How I said that made it seem like he's going to be a candidate. I'm not saying that. I have no clue. If you wanted to pursue him, he could be a candidate now. Whereas before he couldn't. So what are your thoughts on that, Ryan? Well, I I think Atkins has done a
2: tremendous job at Florida state recently, right? I mean, you talk about what he did with Jordan Travis this past year, obviously what he did with the running game with guys like Treshawn Ward. I mean, and let's, let's remember this for a second, folks. It wasn't too long ago that Florida state's offensive line room was a dumpster fire like an absolute awful uh, i mean brian the way that we talked about boston college's offensive line this past year was basically what florida state's offensive line was several years for several years span before alex atkins like it was an awful group man And was an elite group last year? I wouldn't say that, but it was a much better group. I think he made them take a massive step And he wasn't
1: working with Joe Waltz and Blake Fishers and guys like that either,
2: Ryan. Just solid football players. Like, yeah, to your point, not elite talents. And I think that he got a lot out of the offensive line room. I think he got a lot out of that offensive room in general. I think he
1: calls a really good football game. He's an impressive person for me. He's very impressive. I would argue they don't have any elite running backs either. Yeah, good good. good players. Treshawn Ward and them, yeah. Yeah, Lawrence Toafili, they're all good players, but none of them are – there's no Bijan Robinson in that room. Right. There's no Joe Walton on their offensive line. My only concern, Ryan, is I feel like I always get – and it's the same thing I've said about Garrett Riley. It's the same thing I've said about several coaches in this conversation. I always get nervous about hiring – I said it about Jeff Levy as well. I always get nervous about hiring play callers from schools to run your or, – or not – just a full-time offensive coordinator, like I'm the only guy, from a school where the head coach has a big hand in the offense. And and that makes me a little nervous. That would be my yep. issue with him. So I, I'd almost kind of want to see sort of a co-coordinator situation where him and the new quarterback's coach, maybe co-coordinators or maybe him and Jared Parker be co-coordinators or something like that. I don't know if I'd be super fired up about making him the only OC because number one, I don't love it when offensive line coaches are the full time coordinators. It just it, it, it being a coordinator is naturally going to uh, where you're just the only guy is going to take away from the job you're doing as an offensive line coach. Now, if he was doing that and Chris Watt was still here, I was about I'd, to say Chris Watt stayed. Yeah, I'd feel a lot better about it. But almost kind of feel like you have to do like a kind of a co-coordinator cool thing. And, and Ryan, you know, this is exactly what I said about Jeff Lebby a year ago. Well, we'll see how he does now that he's running the offense by himself. And he didn't do a great job this year. He didn't. He'll get better. It's my concern with Garrett Riley. Everybody gets excited about Garrett Riley. And he may do a great job. But I think there's, a, for me, just a little bit of hesitation for me uh, if I were to bring him into Notre Dame. Because at Clemson, he's got Dabo there he can rely on. and Notre Dame, there is no offensive head coach. And so that's what makes Notre Dame situation unique It's there is no Mike Norvell here. There is no Lane Kiffin here. There is no Dabo Sweeney here. There's a defensive coach that's your head coach. And so I think you need to – that's why you and I, I think, also tended to lean a little bit more towards the veterans. Even though we both like Colin Klein, we both like some of the things Sean Lewis does, don't love the fit. But for me, it's because of the makeup of the staff, head coach down – I prefer a veteran guy with the make, with this team that, I, as I said, I believe has a chance to make a run these next couple of years. I, I mean, I think I think that when you look at the roster, I mean, I think it,
2: everything backs up to the fact that this isn't a – this isn't like a long-haul project, right? Like you have a strong running back room. You have tight ends in Notre Dame's able to recruit. You have a strong offensive line. You have a grad transfer quarterback in Sam Hartman coming in, obviously, as a six-year player. I mean, Notre Dame's offense, I think, is ready now – to get a whole lot better very quickly. Right. I mean, this isn't a, you know, we're going to take some lumps, but three years from now, we're going to be really good right, right? now. I mean, 2023, 2024, that's the goal is to be really, really good, you know? And, and so, yeah, I mean, that's always why I've, you know, that's speaking for both of us, but also speaking for myself is that that's always why I've really liked Andy Ludwig. It is. I mean, cause I, I've seen what he has done in short amount of times with teams, you know, I mean, there's been a couple stops, Brian, Where he's only been there for like two years at a time, but the minute he takes over, they're better from the jump. And the second year, they're better than they were the first year. I mean, that's been kind of the running trend, right? So I think that when you look at what he was able to do at Utah, especially over the last four or five years, I think that you look at – or last four years, I think that you look at that and say, man, if you could do that at Utah, I, I could just imagine what you could do at Notre Dame. So mm-hmm. that's that's why Andy Ludwig is my guy, and I will not hide from that. If, they don't, if he doesn't end up at Notre Dame – he was still my guy all yeah. along, even if he doesn't end up there.
1: 100%. Absolutely. Let's go to the next one here, Ryan. We have one from Chris Indy, Indy4L Fortson. Mailbag, do you think Chris Watt is ready for the offensive line position? You know, I said this a little bit earlier, Ryan. I think Coach He Stan kind of, maybe, maybe, depending on how things play out. We'll see. I mean, first of all, we need to see who the new hire is going to be, right? Like, who's the new OC? Like, for all we know, Andy Lowe came on the visit, sat down with Chris Watt, and was like, yo, this kid is a star in the making, right? And I can mold him to, be, you know, uh, Harry's already done a great job. I can mold this guy. Maybe that happened. Maybe that's part of the conversation. I have no clue. I don't know the answer to that it surprised me a little bit just because of he wasn't here that like long enough to really know that. And there's no previous connection. Sure. Let's just say hypothetically that, that, that he doesn't get the job. uh, Chris Watt. I kind of feel like Harry might've shafted him a little bit. Now Harry's got to do, I guess what's best for Harry, but you know, to me, you keep, you keep. Harry just for another year or two, even just a year. Now, all of a sudden, when he retires, there's a lot easier transition, transition. to maybe promote yeah. Chris Watt, where now it's going to be harder with a new offensive line co- coach coming in.
2: Yeah, to someone that he doesn't know, you know, maybe some new terminology, that type of stuff. And I mean, it, it, again, I we talked about it a little bit earlier. I look forward to seeing what happens with Chris Watt because everyone that I've talked to, I mean, that even includes recruits. They speak very highly of Chris Watt, right? So I think he is a respected mind of the game. But to your point, Brian, like, is he ready now to be the guy? I mean, that's the question, right? I mean, he just hasn't – I don't know if the track says you're the head you're – the, you're the number one offensive line coach at Notre Dame with what he's done so far in his coaching career. Could he get there in a couple of years? Possibly. But, I, I mean, I, I hope to your point earlier, and I agree a billion percent, I hope that they keep Chris Watt in some former fashion with the program. I, whether that's a, still as an assistant offensive line coach or whatever it is in some capacity, because I I do think that players like him a lot. I know the recruits like him a lot. I mean, I have had a lot of recruits not only just mentioned Harry Heaston, but they also mentioned Chris Watt, right? And and his you know mind for the game and that type of thing. So I hope for the best for him, man. But I do think that it's a it's a strange situation for him, yeah. Right, because he's not attached at the hip anymore. It's you know kind of I don't want to say sink or swim, but it's like are you the guy or are you not the guy, and is it, there gonna be a spot if you're not? And a guy. if they bring in
1: a new guy, do you really want Harry Heasand's right hand man there? Some coaches may be perfectly fine with that, others may not. I don't know. I don't know who the new line coach is gonna be. So it definitely put him in a precarious position, in my opinion. It really because because if and I
2: I don't know. I mean, I I doubt Chris Watt would be this way, but I mean, kind of going off to of that point. You have a new offensive line coach, potentially, that's going to have a unique approach to the game, his unique approach to the game. And then you have Chris Watt, how people are used to doing it, right? And those things can clash. And I've talked and we've talked about this a lot, you know, especially with, you know, some of the coaching transition stuff. It's very. It's a negative thing to have too many voices in a room at time, right? Because especially if they are fighting against one another, you need to be cohesive in how you teach the game, teach your position, and if there's any pushing of like this is how we're used to doing things, okay, cool, but like that's not how I do things, right? Like this is my offensive line room, and I think that that could be that could be more well much more hurtful than it is helpful at that point.
1: Right, and and it puts Chris Watt in a situation where you know, he, he's got to be careful saying, well, this is how we did it before, even though it worked because you don't want to alienate yourself. It, it would require him to really hit it off with the new O-line coach to say, hey, look, man, yeah. I, dude, you're a Harry Heastan. Dis- it, now, I would hope that Notre Dame would hire a new O-line coach that says, bro, you played for Harry. You were a Harry Heastan disciple. Yeah, Notre I want your Notre Dame right? Yes, you at Notre I Dame. want your yeah. input. Yeah. However, the only caveat is when I say this is what we're going to do, I need you to be on board and have my back. Yeah, but there will be a place for you to share your opinion, to share your thoughts, to tell me how you guys did things before. Because the good coach says, "Hey, you guys did this better than we did. What was the reason?" Well, this is how we drilled it. Oh, that's okay. We drilled it this way. I I really like that. I really dig that. Man, you guys were great drive blockers. How, wh- what? Did, well, every day Harry worked on driving to twenty. Oh, I, I like that drill. Let's. You know what I mean. So if if the guys, you would hope a coach is like that. Yep. That's what the good coaches do, and and I think honestly, O line coaches are much more that way than most other positions. Ryan, you know this. O line coaches are so much more of a. We're not enemies. We're all in the same family.
3: Not like as much. O line coaches are a yeah.
1: special breed of people, man. Like yeah. they like sitting down talking. Hey, let's let's. What are you guys doing? It's really unique. And so I kind of like that. I kind of I, I, I hope that that's who the new O-line coach is and says, hey, this is a great resource. The kids trust him. If he, if he has my back, here's the thing. If the O-line coach is smart, he's going to look at Chris Watt and say, the players like him. They trust him. It's a bridge to the Harry Heaston era. As long as Chris Watt and I can sit down and he can understand what I'm looking for and, and make sure that he's going to always have my back with the players, that's a great resource to have. And the recruits know him too. Right. In 2023 and
2: 2024. Yes. That's and
1: 2025, man. They're even all from 2025 kids yeah. early. So perfect yeah. world situation. That's what I hope. Whoever the new online, if it's not Chris Watt, whoever the new online line coach is, I really hope that that guy says, Hey, we got to keep Chris Watt here. We got yep. we got to figure out a way to make sure Chris Watt is still here. Could be a tremendous resource for the next offensive line coach, potentially, no doubt. Yep. Absolutely. Here's the next one from Derek Duvall mailbag
2: does marcus freeman's strong emphasis on recruiting ultimately ultimately or sorry did i, I guess the question is did does marcus freeman's strong emphasis on recruiting ultimately push harry he stand out just never felt like he uh, like the grind like the old coaches did like he grinds like the old coaches did
1: not that's not an issue for me from what i've been told i don't i don't think yeah. it's if anything i think harry that would have been a benefit for harry it's offensive this head coach recruits his butt off I don't have to grind because Marcus grinds. So I, I don't believe Marcus demands that every coach put in the same exact amount of effort. It's get the job done. Yes. That's the key. Get the job done. Harry got the job done. I mean, that simple as that. He just pulled a nice five-man class in 2023. Yeah, he just got nice an early commitment
2: class, from yeah. Peter Jones, who's a good football They're player. In a great yeah.
1: position with Caleb Brewer. They're in a great position yep. with Gearby Lambert. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yep. And and I've never heard that once from recruits that like oh you know I hear from Harry once in a while like from it sounds of it Harry was grinding on the recruiting trail so
1: I don't I don't think that was me grinding issue. for Harry grinding yes. you know for him he was sure he was, yeah, yeah,
2: not, yeah not grinding no, for no, Marcus maybe Harry was like
1: Marcus I'm not doing this for another four years I mean maybe that was it I don't know but I don't I don't think recruiting was the reason. Yep. I'll just I'll, I'll and, say it. and I'll, I'll say I would that. definitely say that the part that says grinded like the other coaches
2: did uh, he definitely grinds more than a couple coaches on the staff right now yeah. so I'll, I'll leave it at that
1: <laughs> we'll talk about the appropriate view of grinding not the Brian Kelly uh, video oh, yeah, form yeah. Of grinding. just to make sure everyone's on the same page here. here's one from Robert Bishop
2: in y'all's opinion is Ludwig a good hire or is he a home run hire Home run for me, man. Home run. I think so. I give him an AA plus, honestly. Like, yeah, yeah.
1: I did want to bring this up, Ryan, because you and I have been able to talk to some people that are associated with, with Utah over the years, yes. last few years. And the feedback we've gotten as, of him as a recruiter is really positive. Yes. Which surprises me a little bit, because I kinda, he's kind of a mild-mannered, you know, not really a – he's not your typical – like when I watch NFL now, it's like every coordinator is like 30, and he's really energetic and – and you know, just outgoing, and and Andy Lubbock's the old school offensive coordinator. He's the brainiac that like read eight novels during the offs. You know, during his <laughs> one week off. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he strikes me as that. And and so to me, uh, I, I think I was kind of I just wasn't expecting him to be a you know known as a really strong recruiter, but he is from yes. what we've been told. Really good recruiter. Was very involved in in the success Utah has had. Again, the team that's won the last two Pac twelve championships. You talked to a parent of a player recently who had very similar things. I've talked to people in the media that have covered his recruiting efforts and and what he's done. But so he's not coming here with a, a reputation of a of a guy that you gotta you gotta drag him along. Chad has to be dragging him along to get him to do recruiting, which was right. like whew, that was the, it was it would not have mattered to me. That's how important the the role of putting this offense together and play calling is gonna, you know, building the offense and then the play calling that follows is gonna be. I can almost live with him not being an elite recruiter because, or even a good recruiter because the product that sells itself and you've got chance, you've got Jared Parker at the time, you know, Dylan McCullough, whatever the case may be, uh, you know, or you're not at the time, at the time, Harry Hestan also have Dylan McCullough. You got other guys can sell it. But when you find out that he's also a quality recruiter as well at Utah, you're like, okay, that's a really good sign. I mean,
2: because just doing a little bit of research on the Utah recruiting over the last few years, it's historically not a great. I mean, like they haven't recruited a high, high level, obviously. Right. And the parent that I was talking to that Brian mentioned, he talked about like there's, you know, just some things that, you know, doesn't help with Utah recruiting at times. Right. Some resources around the program and they have struggled to recruit at times during, you know, the just the history of Utah football. But if you look what they've done the last four years. It's at a much higher rate. I mean, Brian, they did a number 21 ranked class on the consensus ranking in the 2023 recruiting class, number 21 in the country. So, I mean, for Utah, it's really good, man. That's a a high number for, for what the Utes usually do, right? Like they're usually last three years before. I think they were in like the 30s, you know, but they got up to number 21 this past year. So I do think that it's trending in in the right direction, obviously, from the recruiting efforts from Utah just in general. And, I mean, the things that I've heard about Andy Ludwig are – and the things that we expected, at least what I expected, was he loves the game. He's incredibly intelligent. The players all like him, right? Like that's bang, bang, bang. Very well respected. But then uh, the source that I asked, I literally asked it like this. I was like, hey, man. Just tell me a little bit about Andy Ludwig, like your opinion on him. And then they started bringing up the recruiting side of things. It was like, oh no, man, he's he's thought of as a grinder on the recruiting trail. Like he's a very good, strong recruiter, especially for the the restrictions that they have, the ability to recruit at a high level at Utah. So, I mean, it seems like from every vantage point, every perspective, kind of checks the boxes. I mean, because that was my main concern too, Brian, early on when we're talking about Ludwig is like, do I think he's a good recruiter? Yes. Do, is it could he be a dynamic recruiter? I
1: have no idea. Could he be a great recruiter? That's going to be about the no product. Idea. The dynamic yes. part is going to be about the product. Absolutely. From what I'm, from what we've been told, what we have been told about him and the things that we like about him, Ryan, the the product's going to have to sell it, right? I mean, that's that's the reality of it. I'm I'm looking here, Ryan, and I'm I'm doing I'm just doing a quick search on Utah's recruiting. Do you remember what year it was they joined the Pac-12? Mm, I could look it up. I'm not 100 sure. Let me just look it up here real quick. When did Utah join the Pac-12? Just, oh, my gosh. Let me see here. It would be helpful if I could spell right, wouldn't it? <laughs> so it would have been 2010. So I'm going back to – I'm, I'm at 2013 now, and this past year's recruiting class is the highest that they've had. Um, matter of fact, two, the two highest recruiting classes they've had, I'm now in 2011. Uh, two of two the, the two highest recruiting classes they've had have both come in the last three years, with Andy Love, who as part of the staff, and yeah. so that to me that that matters to me. I mean that tells me something. So yeah, th- those are positives that we've learned here over the last few days, which only adds to it, to Ryan's point. Do we thought this was a home run higher before we learned that about the recruiting efforts. And look, I've I learned this a long time ago when I first got into coaching, first started doing this. People may not want to admit it, but walking in with the interlocking N D on your shirt matters still to people, to coaches, to players, it matters. And if the product is is good enough, it it really matters. Yes. It really matters.